But the likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives. Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve... Welcome back to the Ruthless Variety program. That was uh, your president, Joe Biden, a year ago talking about how inevitably the Taliban wouldn't take over once American troops uh, were removed from Afghanistan. Well, I mean, just a few days later, I guess he got to find that out for himself. And how? I mean, I I think it's important uh, for folks not to forget we lost 13 service members there in Afghanistan and the method that the Biden administration hastily and just haphazardly uh pulled out of afghanistan where with people like clinging to planes i mean like that is the image that was projected globally of where american foreign policy stands well yeah. and, and and also i i was promised a full accounting of that disastrous withdrawal right. that that uh the biden administration was going to go ahead and look back on what they did right what they did wrong and put yeah. out a report here we are a year later i i still don't think we have that report what's well, weird you'd think that there would be oversight from congress on something like that right <laughs> and, 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 <laughs> oh no and and the thing i remember immediately after the 13 service members were killed because you know we didn't have an airfield they decided they're just going to leave an international airport which somehow now needs to be defended from like attack squads anyways so after we have 13 service members killed, the Biden administration says, oh, you know, we're, we're going to find out who did this and, and America will have vengeance. And then they like drone strike a van, which then a couple of weeks later we find out was just like full of kids trying to get to the airport. There's been no answering by anyone responsible for killing those service members no none not at all and the reason we're amped up on this we should be amped up on it every day but unfortunately news events take you in a different direction but this is really just a horrible thing but the reason we're talking about it so much today is it's one year removed from the beginning of the retreat from afghanistan which caused basically all of the problems that we saw over the ensuing two weeks following and left exactly what we didn't want to leave which is the taliban entirely in control um, to amplify that, we brought on Congressman Mike Waltz. Uh, you remember, <clears throat> probably remember his first interview that he did with us in June of 21, where he basically predicted line by line what mm-hmm. was going to happen. I mean, this is one of the smartest guys on this topic that you're ever going to come around. And, and he's really amped up. I can't wait for you to hear that interview. We'll have that. We also have uh, a sponsor today, the Common Sense Leadership Fund. Uh, you'll recall we had Kevin McLaughlin in studio to talk about their concerns with one of these internet bills. We'll talk about that a little later in the program as well. Uh, and then also we have got Devin Nunez. Yeah, uh, this is content-packed. We episode. got a content-packed, action-packed program for you today. Devin, as you recall, was head of the Intel committee, uh, committee in the House that debunked all of the Russiagate nonsense he knows more about that than anybody else, but he's also now the CEO of Truth Social, which is uh, uh, Trump's social media company, and he's going to be talking a little bit about that at the end of the program. So we got a big one, but I think we should probably start with what we just sort of got into, mm-hmm. which is life under the Taliban rule here in uh, in Afghanistan. And Politico actually put together 
a an update here because the administration doesn't want to talk about this. No, not at all. Right. And if you can get over, which I never will, but if you can get over the idea that we left Bagram Air Force Base, a strategic advantage against the Chinese and others, if you can get over the fact that we released prisoners who ultimately, by the way, are the ones that executed the suicide bomb that killed 13 Marines, and if you can get over the death of the 13 Marines and the thousands of Americans that were stranded in Afghanistan along with interpreters and everything else, if somehow you can get over all that, perhaps you can take a look at what life is like in Afghanistan now and, and still try to fashion that this was a good idea. You know, the New York Times also had a very in-depth look at this over the weekend. You know, we're always uh, ragging on the New York Times, but they did some really good reporting on this. Um, And they wrote, a year into Taliban rule, Afghanistan has seemed to hurtle backward in time. For many Afghans, particularly women in cities, the sense of loss has been devastating. Music is officially banned. Foreign news broadcasts, TV shows, and movies have been removed from public airways. Jesus. And at checkpoints along streets, morality police chastise women who are not covered head to toe in all concealing burqas and headpieces in public. And and I think the biggest problem, obviously those are all horrible problems, but what it leads to is inviting radical elements back in. Mm -hmm. Right? And the thing that we sort of glossed over when America killed the... I'm an al-Zawari. Yeah. yeah. The acting leader of al-Qaeda yeah. after uh, bin Laden's death. They got him in Kabul. Uh, yeah, right. They got him in Kabul. Right. Which means that this dude <laughs> was literally living in a country club community in the middle of downtown Kabul and nobody said a word. Well, see, that's the funniest thing in my opinion. Well, actually, dark comedy <laughs> to all of this really is like al-Qaeda was... On 9-11, Al-Qaeda was, you know, hiding in the hills, right. you know, in mountains of Afghanistan. They've upgraded since then. Yeah. Significantly. Yeah. Now they have, like, a, it was apparently a very wealthy neighborhood. And oddly enough, the, the person who owned it was, like, a New York Times contributor who wrote the article, like, this is all the Taliban wants. <laughs> so, like, a guy who's, like, written an article for the New York Times also is, is that hosting. true? That's 100% true. You got to be kidding That's me. serious. The guy who last year wrote that article in the New York Times about, like, this is what the Taliban really wants. Like, trying to make the reasonable case. He's like, oh, by the, the way, I've got Times a... Opinion I have a really interesting new tenant. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, are you fucking kidding me? Holy shit. And, like, this isn't just, like, your average ter- terrorist. I mean... Number one in Al-Qaeda. So are, he, like, co-founded Islamic Jihad. Like, very, very high profile. So just to be, like, hanging out in Kabul shows you how, how bad the country's got. I mean, it is it is so bad. It is so bad. But, you know, in addition to that, it's the message you brought up, the message that it sends to the rest of the world, right? That we are, we have no planning capability. We have no military sort of uh, understanding of how to execute missions. It, it totally emboldened Putin in what we saw 100%. with Ukraine. Now, you can make your argument whether he <laughs> learned the wrong, wrong lessons from that. But the rest of the world clearly saw that as a vacuum. Yep that they had to fill. And you saw Xi and Putin, Iran, uh, another, sort of step up their game in a way that they hadn't under President Trump. Yes, absolutely. It's, 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 I can't stress enough the power of those images. Like, you know, for over a generation, we've been haunted by those images from Saigon. 
you know like yeah. that is indelibly burned into the minds of americans they'll always remember that and it always leaves this like horrific memory of of what that entire experience was and to have afghanistan bookended in the exact same fashion of just like horrible. people clinging to planes falling out of the sky horrible and we spent so much blood and treasure That's there it. trying to not only eliminate radical elements which you know there was some success in that initially but also to try to build some somewhat of a civilization that could relate to the rest of the world now you make your arguments that that was a fool's errand it was in right? my opinion yeah so so but if that was the goal what they did in retreat erased all of all that, of it all of it right so listen according to politico Half of Afghanistan's population is facing critical food shortages and acute hunger. Over the winter, there were credible reports about Afghanistan families selling their children to, in order to get money to survive. Right? So, look, if you got to, if, if you're total isolationist about this and you actually don't care, like at some level, given the amount of sacrifice Americans have made, I get that. But what it breeds is what we fought against in the first place. Mm -hmm. When you are in a place where you are willing to sell your children, you are in a place where radical terror does not feel too far away. Well, yeah. But, like, we didn't kill the Taliban. We didn't get rid of them. Didn't do it. You know? Didn't do it. And, like, they're still there. Like, I, 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 there is no easy solution to this. You but, know? But the way, I guess the way that we pulled out of that thing emboldened them to the point where they're willing to not only just sort of take over and 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 be caretakers of this whatever you can call afghanistan but they also re-implement all right. the shit I that mean, they, they were are, doing prior to, to 01 they're radical islamists but, yeah but you know i mean well, i the, don't know this other point that is this um, where your weak on terror thing comes out i i, I guess that makes me weak on terror to think very, it we makes can't, you weak on we terror. can't remake the entire world in the image of the united states if, I don't think anybody can disagree with that after after the case study. I mean, it's been a, a there's definitive evidence that we can't create a democracy out of thin air. But the but the thing is, and we got to hear. Let's get to the interview on this because this is where this makes a ton of sense. It's the strategic advantage that we gave up militarily by going about this the way that we did will haunt us, and it will haunt us for decades to come. I think from a strategic military sense. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. So let's get to Congressman Mike Waltz. Well, we're one year removed from Joe Biden's disastrous retreat in Afghanistan. And so who better to have on the program than a combat decorated Green Beret who joined us more than a year ago for some incredibly prophetic words about what was about to happen in Afghanistan. Welcome, Congressman Mike Waltz. Hey, thanks. Yeah, good to be back with you guys. And we're going to have to find something more positive to to talk about because I, I promise you at the end of this, everybody's going to want to drink after listening to your... No, I know. <laughs> and, and, and that's the thing that yeah. I, I hate that we've worn this groove with you because you seem like a guy I'd love to go out and have a beer and, and tell some jokes with. But, but you also know more about this topic than anybody I know. And for our listeners, they've been concerned about this every day. Right. Yeah. And as the yeah. country is sort of lost focus on what happened in Afghanistan, I think it's important, at least a year removed, to to look back at the chaos and you know what's ensued. 
Yeah, you, you know, look, I mean, here we are a year later, and um, girls uh, can't go to school in Afghanistan. Women can't work. Heck, women can't even go out of the house. Uh, they've got a massive famine going on. Uh, they have uh, our allies are being hunted down as we speak by the Taliban uh, intelligence directorate. In fact, one of my interpreters, he's on the cover of my book. One of my uh, interpreters that I got out uh, called me and his cousin was caught by them. He was in hiding and they uh, drug him behind uh, one of their pickup trucks around the village and, oh. you know, to send a message until he died. Oh. Right. Um, so America's credibility shot. And now we've got Al Qaeda back in Kabul, like pre 9-11. So I think, you know, as a country domestically, it feels like we're back in the 70s with gas lines and inflation. And then in Afghanistan, we're back to 1999. Uh, it's just incredible to me. It, I went back and listened. You joined us in June, late June of, of 21. And one of the things that really popped out to me was your discussion about the importance of Bagram Air Force Base, not only just for Afghanistan and everything we're trying to do, get out or what have you, but just regionally and, and the yeah. importance of, of holding that. And sure enough, I mean, the first fatal mistake this administration made was abandoning Bagram, which of course led to everything else. Yeah, look, just so to put, kind of put it in context, that was the main base, 12,000-foot uh, runway uh, that uh, that we conducted all our counterterrorism activities on. And by the way, half the world's terrorist organizations still exist, and the intelligence community right now is kind of covering their rear end. They're, they're briefing us on a regular basis. Hey, these guys intend to hit you again. They're developing the capability to do so. And the Taliban is doing something between Jack and squat to stop it. Mm. Right. They're doing nothing to stop it. That was the one base Then clear. The next nearest one is thousands and thousands of miles away. And you look at the map, you're surrounded by Russia, Iran, China, yeah. Pakistan. Not a lot of I mean, friendly you, places. You got no access from the ocean. No, you got nothing. Uh, but since the counterterrorism side of peace, I, you know, I, I think we talked about it when we talked about it a year ago, it's also the only base in the world that we had in a country that borders China. So mm -hmm. when you look at what's going on in the Taiwan Strait, we had a massive air base right in China's back door. Bagram is closer to the Chinese border than Mexico City is to the Texas border. That's and wild. do you think if the Chinese had a massive 12,000 foot runway hardened air base right outside of Mexico City, they would have given it away for free and said, oh, man, you guys take it back. <laughs> like, hell no. No, right? no. And so, and oh, and then, I mean, just two, two more quick points. The, the Chinese are undergoing a massive modernization of their nuclear enterprise. They are putting more ICBM holes in the ground in the next couple of years than we will in the next 20. And we're just trying to, ours is still sitting on like, 1960s DOS technology. It, yeah, it, this we is could part of that. Later, this is part it was of right. In, I was just going to say. Go I was just going to say. Is this part of the hypersonic stuff you hear about and everything else? The hypersonic, but even even their their regular ICBMs, you know, all their entire nuclear enterprise is all in the western part of China, right near Bagram. And then the the, the last thing that just kills me with it, amongst many, is that. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, they, they just had the CHIPS Act and critical minerals. China controls 90% of the world's lithium. All of those things that make a modern economy go 
Afghanistan was sitting on a trillion dollars of critical minerals and rare earths. Uh, I helped commission the survey, the U.S. Geological Survey, back in 05 when we were looking at how to, you know, how to, can this country afford to eventually take care of itself. Third largest uh, copper reserves in the world, fifth largest chromite, second largest lithium. I didn't even know that. Sitting, yeah, yeah, no, massive, massive reserves of these critical minerals. And guess who's sitting at Bagram Air Base now that we built over 20 years? A Chinese geological survey team that's going to go in and scoop all of that stuff up. I mean, it was the only base in the world sat, uh, sit, situated between Iran, Russia, and China. So, and so, it's, so it's just to square now. this circle, so, I, like, just, I mean, it's just <laughs> on so many levels, it's just a, a strategic fiasco. Just, just to make sure I have this correct, we abandon Bagram, we lose the Marines that we do, we we abandon Americans in Afghanistan, we abandon our allies, interpreters, and others who helped us in Afghanistan. We leave all these critical rare earth minerals to the Chinese, and then we come home and pass bills like they passed out of the United States <laughs> Senate that actually yep. mandate that the United States use its energy from the sources that the Chinese now control? Is that, do I have that about right? Yeah, you got it, man. We're, we, we, they just, the president just signed a bill to infuse $300 billion of your money into the Chinese economy. That produces 90% of the world's solar panels, all of the wind turbines, 90% of the lithium that, you know, that you need to make the batteries for storage. Yep. I you mean, I, you can't, you just, if you were to try to destroy the country, what decision would you make that was, it was worse than that? You got it. I mean, that's, that, that's it. We are going to win or lose this thing, not to turn this into a China discussion, but we're going to win or lose it economically way before it ever comes to any military blows. And if you understand Sun Tzu uh, and the, the, you know, ancient Chinese military theorists uh, that they all subscribe to. It's all about defeating your enemies with never firing a shot. Mm -hmm. And the two key parts of their strategy is, um, is um, uh, number one, uh, to watch us bankrupt ourselves, and we're heading right down that road, and number two, to con control our supply chains, everything from our food supply uh, to our energy supply, and we're just playing right into their hands, brother. I mean, that's, but, it, it, that's yeah. literally prescriptively <laughs> what's happening right now. I mean, that, 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 that that's that's exactly what the policies of the Biden administration are intended to do at this point. They must be like, this is manna from heaven. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, absolutely. I mean, you know, they thought it would be more thought it would be harder in, than this in Beijing <laughs> you know, between uh, be, between Beijing and uh, the Taliban in, in Kabul. Yeah, they're they're popping it all day long. So, oh, well, back to Afghanistan for a minute. Um Clearly, the Biden administration was hopeful that they could just move on from all of this, right? And that they could yeah. basically pretend like they ended a war. What a great thing that they ended this forever war. Uh, and, you know, good for us. And we'll move on and talk about other things. Um, for all of the important reasons, we can't do that. Uh, but you have a Democratic-controlled Congress now, so the, the, the ability yeah. to have oversight over a lot of this is really limited. Do you feel like you've gotten any answers out of these guys that are anywhere near satisfactory? But j just by a point of comparison, it reminds me of the period in 2011 when the Obama administration, Vice President Biden, 
uh, <laughs> you know, sitting right right beside him, uh, pulled us out of Iraq with no backup plan, no follow-on plan. And three years later, we had ISIS explode on the scene, a caliphate the size of, of Indiana, Americans being beheaded on national television. We all know the story from there. And guess what? We have more forces back in Iraq now than we had before Obama pulled us all out because to go and clean up the mess is far more expensive and costly than to just keep a lid on it, which is what the military advised Biden to do in Afghanistan. Keep a small force there, not on the front lines, providing the intelligence, the air support, the logistics, the maintenance, uh, and let the Afghan army keep doing the keep doing the fighting for, for their own country, but for all of our security. Uh, in terms of answers now, hell no, nothing. I mean, it, it's just... It, it, what breaks my heart is that, you know, I've dealt with Gold Star families, you know, 26 years in the Army, and special operator all over the world. I've dealt with that kind of grief from the Green Berets that I've lost. But what I've never dealt with is the level of anger and outrage that I've experienced with these Gold Star families that lost, uh, that lost their sons and daughter around Kabul because they've gotten zero zilch, nothing uh, in terms of answers uh, and so when we flip the House, and pray God we flip the Senate too, but we're definitely flipping the House, uh, we are going to launch investigations into it. Uh, a number of us have talked to Kevin McCarthy about it. Uh, it. You know, it's still taking shape and kind of what the committee and what the structure uh, will look like. But, you know, we deserve answers, man. I mean, you know, why was the intelligence so bad? Why did the Afghan Air Force fail so quickly, even though the Pentagon's IG warned six months in advance that they would what military advice did biden uh ignore why didn't the state department evac start sooner mm. um i could go you know and by the way we were talking about bagram the suicide bomber that killed those 13 marines and soldiers and sailors was let out of prison two weeks prior at bagram air base i mean it's, uh, it's a known it's isis operative right i mean and by the way in terms of accountability the, the Danish defense minister, the defense minister of Denmark, uh, the the foreign minister of the United Kingdom were forced out over this debacle, right? And even though they had a tiny minor role and were furious with us, but yet in this administration, we've got the president of the United States saying this was a tremendous success. Everything was great. And so, but for me, it's for those Gold Star families, man. They, they, they deserve answers. And they've gotten none. That's 100% right. I appreciate your, your commitment to that. Um, listen, if there's ever a testimony to how significantly this has failed, not just at the time, but going forward, is that the Biden administration is, you know, busy patting themselves on the back for killing a high value terrorist. Where they don't talk about a lot is the fact that he's just sort of wandering the streets of Kabul. Yeah, not even yeah, not in talking, not in hiding at all. Talking about Zawahiri, right? Who took over for Osama bin Laden? Uh, he's been Al Qaeda's number one for the last decade. And what kind of blows my mind is the CIA has had an entire team absolutely focused and dedicated to finding this guy for the last twenty years, and then just a few months ago, you know, he just kind of you know has a big coming out party in Kabul, moves his family. The neighborhood that he was staying in is like the McMansion. Believe it or not, there is one. A McMansion neighborhood. It's all the narco opium mansions in uh, in Kabul and is parading around. So what did the you know, what did the Taliban tell him? 
Uh, what kind of deal uh, was cut? There's so many questions that need to be answered, but the bottom line is the UN has said 10 to 15,000 foreign fighters are migrating out of the Middle East back into Afghanistan. Al Qaeda is clearly there. Um, uh, this, you know, the Taliban are the rock stars of the jihadi world. This is the caliphate that they've always wanted. And the other piece I have is, you know, in terms of material support to Al Qaeda, we're providing billions in foreign currency reserves. The Biden is by the administration, hundreds of millions of aid. And you've got the Taliban number two, Haqqani, uh, hosting the leader of Al Qaeda. That's why. Uh, so where's that? Where is that money flowing? Um, you know, is that against the law? You know, in terms of material support, are those hundreds of millions of taxpayer dollars flowing right into Al Qaeda now? Uh, so again, back to the investigations. We've got to get to the bottom of this while we got to get the house back. Yeah, I mean, the guy, look, the guys in a in a country club community working on his mid range irons, and and the Taliban is just <laughs> sort of like, you know, hey, I think you're good yeah. here, man. I think you're good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, I can't emphasize enough what kind of hiding this guy was in. No phones, no nothing, right. only couriers, right? He didn't want to happen to him, what happened to Osama bin Laden. And for him to just kind of come out in the open with a big, like you said, uh, you know, is out kind of dancing around the, the, the Capitol is um, is it, pretty extraordinary. And, and we got to get to the bottom of what, what was behind it all. A lot of questions. Oh, man. All right. Well, I'm glad you're on that. Let me turn the page for a minute. Sort of related, but sort of not. Um, one of the things. And by we- the way, by the way, if I could just touch that real quick, you know, the 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 one thing that um, I don't want to let go, or I don't want to miss here, is that these veterans groups, like one of them, just released a book, Task Force Pineapple, that just came out. I'd recommend everybody uh, 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 read that. They haven't let go. Uh, especially the special operators that worked most closely with like the Afghan commandos and the special forces uh, and with our interpreters. I know guys that have quit their jobs, exhausted their savings, their marriages survived, you know, a dozen deployments, but haven't survived this withdrawal Mm -hmm. because it is to our core. You never leave a fallen soldier. And that applies to our allies in the foxhole with us just as much as it does uh, a fellow American. And they are not letting this go. They're still shuffling these guys around in safe houses, keeping them financially viable. Uh, And there's still Americans there, too. I just had a sit down with Tony Blinken, Secretary of State. uh, And he said, you know, we kind of asked him about, hey, that 100 number that you and the president kept throwing out. And, and he said, yeah, it ended up being more like 800. Oh. Uh, that, but, but he said, because that's because initially they didn't want to get out and then they changed their mind. Like, hell yeah, they changed their mind, right? And the few that are, that there are still some left behind, but that's because they can't get their families out. And I said, what, you know, what honorable man would just leave his, you know, wife, kids, mother, father? Of course they wouldn't, but that, you don't get to then put them in a category of don't want to leave. Oh, yeah. And so, uh, you know, the, the fight still continues, I guess, is the point I wanted to make. And these vets groups that have stood up in, in such an amazing way, in a way they shouldn't have had to, yeah. right? Uh, and, and we've had an 81% increase in calls to the Veterans Suicide Hotline since August, oh, right? Man. Not over the last couple of years, but just since August. And so... For all those guys and gals out there listening, man, your 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 sacrifice was not in vain. Uh, we kept the country safe for for two decades, 
and if we got to go back again, we got to go back. But but also know you've got you know I have your back in Congress, and I'm not going to let this go as long as I'm sitting in this seat. Really, really well said. Absolute heroes, each and every one of them. Many of whom, by the way, took it upon themselves to try to get people out. And and, and totally did at their own expense, right? Their own uh, right, like just just emptied their savings account, quit their jobs to go do the right thing because they saw their government was failing. That's just, you never thought you'd see that in the United States of America, but unfortunately, nope. that's been reality here over the last year. Um, yeah. Let me ask you this. Uh, yeah. y- you led the mission. We talked about this in 21. You you led the mission to try to find Bo Bergdahl, right? And you yep. had some well-formulated opinions about him and also about a prisoner exchange deal, um, yeah. which you have a, a very dim view of, which I, I can't imagine being through what you were through with the people you were leading uh, and then having a prisoner exchange deal on the back end of that. I'm wondering if it, as it applies to current events, you see a very different situation with like Brittany Griner in Russia, right? Yeah. But, but you've heard the Biden administration sort of leak out the idea of a, of a high-profile prisoner exchange for a WNBA player. What's your view of that? Yeah, so j- just real quick on the on the Bergdahl uh, trader, I'll try to keep the show clean here. <laughs> now, you don't need to. Words. You don't need <laughs> to. Worst choice words for that son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. um, listen, I, I think you guys, you know, maybe you can branch out to some investigative journalists and do a kind of where are they now? Oh, that sounds know, good. Kind of a series, right? Go go find him smoking pot somewhere in, in California. I don't know where he is. Uh, then contrast that with, uh, you know, one of the veterans that was shot in the head while looking for him in places we never would have been, who was wheeled out of the courthouse when Bergdahl walked free. Uh, by his daughter, he can no longer speak to because he has such intensive brain damage. Man. And then contrast that with three out of the five in the trade are now uh, sitting high on the hog in Kabul right now running this terrorist caliphate, right? Three out of the five that uh, Obama traded for him that special operators had fought and died to get him into Gitmo uh, in the first place. But Anyway, uh, no, I listen, I, I, I don't want to even cut you off on that because it's just such an important story that gets glossed over time and time again. It, this was one of the great failures amongst a pile of, of failures of the Obama administration, which Joe Biden had a front row seat for. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely right. And it, it, it just underscores their approach, right? Because you've got a lot of the same, the Obama team is all sitting around Biden. Uh, And you see it in the Iran deal. You see it in how they're dealing uh, with Taiwan. If we just concede enough, if we just give enough, if we just sit at the table with a lot of goodies, then our adversaries will will play nice, too. Uh, And, man, I mean, they just smell weakness all over this White House. And that's why you see from from Russia to Iran to to Venezuela, China, you name it. They're all in the march right now because they smell opportunity and they smell weakness. No no question. uh, You know, on. Yeah, on on the Griner case, look, you know, there's a couple of pieces there because um, I've worked these hostage situations, uh, and actually, my wife was a former hostage envoy, uh, the the oh, negotiator at the State Department. So I lived it, uh, uh, you know, kind of through her as well. Um, this is this is not a good deal to trade Victor Boot. Plus, you know, I think Putin sees right now that there's only upside for him. 
time is on his side as the left freaks out over over a celebrity. Yeah. Meanwhile, there are dozens and dozens of Americans held around the world that, you know, Austin Tice, uh, the longest held journalist in Syria, just hit a 10-year anniversary of, of being miss, missing as poor mother, as hairs, you know, anyway, it, it's just an awful situation. But Putin right now in this case only sees up time, upside, time is on his side, and he knows with this crowd um, that they'll continue to make concession after concession after concession to try to get her back because of the pressure from the left. Uh, and look, I want every American to come home, period. Um, but we've got to stop making concessions to get our Americans home and start causing pain and make the pain so high and so obvious that the next terrorist group or the next rogue regime that thinks about snatching American off the street says, you know what, this ain't going to be worth it. Yeah. Americans are going to hit me in my wallet. They're going to hit my tribe. They're going to, you know, hellfires are going to come flying through my window. Just, you know, the cost is too high, not worth it. But right now, they only see upside. And a lot of times they'll just snatch an American and just sit on it, uh, him or her, uh, until, you know, the deal presents itself at, at some future date. So if they make this deal, uh, you, you've you got a, I, I think you've got a bullseye on the back of, of every American in Russia. Well, in, um, in particular, oh, anybody... Anybody who has a back name that anybody the, recognizes, right? I mean, that's the other piece of this. Yeah, like, that's right. Well, and the right, the more the the more name ID, the more recognition you have. Obviously, this will set the precedent for the more that regime can get. And and I would be remiss. We were we were talking about Afghanistan. There's still an American Navy veteran by the name of Mark Frerichs that are being held by the Haqqani Network which was the same group that's the number two, you know, they're closely aligned with the Taliban that was hosting Al-Qaeda. They've been holding them for two years. Mm. Uh, and the thing the Taliban and Haqqani wanted the most was the withdrawal of all U.S. forces. We didn't get them for that. The next thing they want the most is the release of billions in foreign currency reserve. Didn't get them for that. Hundreds of million in foreign aid didn't get them for that. So, I mean, these guys couldn't negotiate their way out of a paper bag. Uh, but my heart breaks for that family. They're holding a hostage right now as we speak. And we've got State Department officials, you know, drinking drinking chai and sitting in five-star hotels and Qatar, uh, you know, negotiating with them. It's, with it's the man, about, don't forget the man dollar, bun. Not another dime. Uh, and, and, and we're going to start, you know, going right back to to uh, missiles flying through windows until you let that american go yeah. how about we take that approach yeah well it's a much better that's what they understand man that's you know they understand strength and power and they're not getting it from this crew no oh, that's a hundred percent right um last thing i want to get to you wrote an op-ed i saw a couple of weeks ago about covid vaccine mandates and the effect that it might have on the national guard um yeah. what what are your your views on that well, just so people have a, a sense, we're talking about in some states up to 30% of their National Guard, right? I mean, it, it really varies. Some states have been more than others. Um, so one, you know, if, if they, if, if the Pentagon who apparently is still thinking about it follows through on discharging all of these soldiers who, by the way, were on the front lines of the whole COVID pandemic, right. <laughs> even before there were vaccines, right? Um, it will gut the National Guard. You layer that on top of we're in a recruiting crisis right now. So it's not like they can easily replace them. 
you layer that on top of, especially in my state, like Florida, we're in hurricane season, California's in wildfire season, right? Uh, and how much we've used uh, the National Guard. And every time that you, you hear them getting called up, they're saying goodbye to their employer that they have to hope, you know, that they, they have to go back to and their job's waiting on them. And they're still being used for overseas missions. Uh, so it's, it, it is a witch's brew. And, and w- the argument that you hear is, hey, you know, you give an order in the military, you got to follow an order. If we give on this, then it'll be a slippery slope for all other things. Well, a couple points I'd make there. Yes, you tell your platoon to charge the hill, they got to charge the hill. But as a leader, you always evaluate the cost to your unit of any given order. And if you see that the cost is going to be so high to charge in that hill, then sometimes you reevaluate, you know, is this the order I've just got to stick to just because... And then the, the entire situation with the vaccine has changed fundamentally different when it was absolutely Fauci and everybody else saying, take this vaccine. It stops the spread. Right. You can't have soldiers. You can't have soldiers getting into tanks or sailors getting the submarines if they're going to infect the whole crew. But now that it's obvious that it doesn't stop the spread, it's a personal health decision of what kind of, you know, what kind of symptoms that you want to undergo. That's a personal health decision. And then on top of that, we put in the last defense bill mandating that the Pentagon take into account natural immunity. Mm-hmm. And it would take about a week to go and test all of those guard soldiers who have been on the front line of the pandemic to see then if they've got natural immunity that a, a mountain of research has shown now is just as good. So I pray that some common sense prevails here that they get out of this like vaccine ideological dogma that they're in uh but you know we'll see i'm on the armed services committee and and we'll keep pounding away and i'm telling a lot of those you know those national guard soldiers hold on till we get back in charge and and we can get some better legislation in there at the pentagon you know if common sense doesn't prevail listen i don't i don't know anybody who's more consistently right about all these issues than you are congressman uh last thing before we go how's your election how's florida we going to have a big red wave down there? Yeah, I think so. Look, I, I think we're going to flip four seats in Florida. That's I mean, awesome. that's, that's pretty much the majority right there. <laughs> uh, and we gained a new seat because we're, get, you know, we're, we're uh, receiving a thousand people a day. <laughs> I call them kind of freedom refugees or, or New York refugees. I don't know. Um, but the, the thing that Florida it, where, where it's a game changer that I think this cycle and next will take us from purple state to red state is that we've gone from a deficit. Uh, in 2012, there were uh, 600,000 more registered Democrats than Republicans a decade ago. Now there's a quarter million more registered Republicans than Democrats, 850,000 voter swing in the last 10 years. Uh, so, I mean, that is, I mean, that's a game changer. Uh, as long as as long as uh, our side turns out to vote and they're fired up, yeah. I mean, that, you know, we, we it's one thing in the 2020 campaign for us to all warn, you know, in speech after speech after speech, what will happen if the progressives are in charge. But now it's on display for the whole country from the disasters and foreign policy, to, you know, from Afghanistan to the, the, the weakness in South China Sea and now the economy on fire, the border on fire, you know, gas lines. I mean, it's. You know, this is what happens when you have uh, the progressives take over. So I think we're going to see a, a, a great turnout in Florida. That's um, great. And the final thing is, you know, I, I think we've really been leading the way. 
Yeah. Uh, no, I was just going to say, I was just going to say that. How to govern, yeah. how to grow an economy, how to, you know, I remember talking to Ron DeSantis early on and he said, look, we don't have a lot of data. Uh, this was in like spring of 2020. We don't have a lot of data, but we see it disproportionately affects the elderly. We're throwing all our resources into nursing homes and protecting them. He got our schools back open in August of 2020, mandatory in-person, five days a week, told the teachers unions to kiss off. And, uh, and look, we don't have mass graves of, of, of kids and, 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 and educators. Uh, in fact, you know, our, our, our schools have been doing great. So that's awesome. Yeah, Florida uh, definitely leading the way. Definitely leading the way. A lot of good ones down there. We got to make sure that everybody comes back and that everybody is uh, back on the national stage in a big way to lead this country out of this. Congressman Waltz, where can people uh, help you if they want to uh, find out what you're up to and just sort of follow along? Yeah, well, you can go to MikeWaltz.com. You know, we we still have our primary coming up in Florida uh, and, and I'll always take the help. But you know, the other thing I've, I've leaned into is it's called the Frontline Patriots Pack. And uh, that is dedicated to getting more veterans into Congress. You know, in the 1970s, it was three quarters of the House and Senate where vets had served some point in their life. Today, it's around 16 uh, percent. I, I, you know, I think we've got to get that number up. If we're willing to die for that flag, then uh, we'll be willing to roll up our sleeves and get in there and uh, take the tough votes and do what needs to be done to move the country forward. Hell yeah, so you got reinforcements we, on the way, brother. Uh, I, we've we talked to it, like man. 20 we of them. <laughs> They're coming. They're <laughs> well, coming. Right now it's just me and, uh, and Crenshaw in terms of Green Berets and SEALs, but I think we got another dozen coming. We've got female pilots. Um, look, it, 2022 is going to be the year of the GOP veteran. Yeah. Uh, in, in the house and we're going to take the hill brother you got it listen congressman mike waltz thanks for all you do stay in touch next time you come on here come in person we'll have a cocktail we'll enjoy ourselves a little bit more and lighten it up huh i'll bring you some horse soldier bourbon you know the green yes. berets are known as the horse soldiers that uh rode into afghanistan and some of those guys have now started their own bourbon i'll bring you guys a bottle that's perfect excellent we'll see you next right. time thanks brother this guy's so smart I mean, the guy, he's just so, he's so, well, look, he's dedicated his life for all of this, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, right. if he's his special operations running Bo Bergdahl, like, recovery efforts, I mean, this guy's seen some shit. That's what I'm saying. Is like, uh, it, it makes me feel a lot better knowing that we're getting folks like that. Because uh, the generation who served in Iraq and Afghanistan gave so much to this country, I really have a huge degree of confidence in their ability to help us to help lead us going forward, and I think Waltz is a perfect example. Well, and, and, you know, if we can take back the House, you know, having people like him in charge of the investigation to actually find out what happened yes. a year ago, I think will be critical. I mean, like, the GOP just put out a report on this, and, of course, the White House has spun up all these talking points to push back on it and everything like that instead of doing their fucking job and doing their report. Right. Um but, you know, I don't think anything's going to come out of it until we have control of Congress. Yeah. So, and, like, didn't we just get, uh, uh, I think it was the New York Times who, who who sent out that tweet saying that Joe Biden will be going directly from their vacation in South Carolina. Yeah, to, to, to vacation to, in to Delaware. Vacation in Del- yeah. So, like, he's on <laughs> This top is of what the, he's yeah, doing. He's which, by, which, by the way, he's on Kiwa Island in a $20 million house that's owned by a Democratic super donor. How does that work? Like, how does that work? How does that the work? President of the United States. I thought there were gift limit rules. Jesus, that's unbelievable. It is pretty unbelievable, but that's just, you know. And nobody even asked any questions. Nah.
Uh, it's all it's all Joe. Just a buddy. Who, by the way, was riding a bike on the beach. Who the fuck does that? <laughs> no, seriously, is it because it's a softer landing maybe, for him? Maybe. That's 100% <laughs> what it is, dude. That's 100% what it is. I mean, that's, I gotta say, it's a pretty intense calf workout. <laughs> I mean, you know? I just can't even imagine what kind of bike you would need to have Joe Biden pedal it on a beach. Yeah. Like, th- think about that, right? Boy, that's gotta be, I bet it's self-propelled. Might be an electric bike. I yeah. think it's self-propelled. <laughs> Uh, anyway, all right, so let's get to our sponsor content. Um, this is a Common Sense Leadership Fund. You recall when Kevin McLaughlin, who's the president of that outfit, came Whale in, of a guy. Whale of a guy, did a nice job talking about one of the bills that is before the United States Senate. It's called the American Innovation and Choice Online Act, right? And it's something that passed out of the Judiciary Committee, and it had this bipartisan support, and it purports to deal with internet companies, right? And social media companies. And purports to try to, it's basically like their first effort in dealing with antitrust issues and everything else. Except for the fact that if you hear both sides talk about it, they talk about it entirely differently. That's the thing is like, so, uh, you know, typically when I see Senator Hawley's involved in something, I'm like, all right, all right, we're gonna, we're gonna take the screws to these tech companies. And, and that's the thing is like, you know, so much of this bill you hear, and you're like, hell yeah. You're like nodding along. That's exactly exactly what I want. And then you find out about the safety shit. Safety that the, shit. The left has, has <laughs> happily put in there. So here's, the, here's the, the biggest thing. So case law, they talk about privacy and security. There's an awful lot in that area when it comes to information and distribution and right. all that. They've created a new term, which Smug talked about, mm-hmm. safety. Yeah, safety. Very nebulous term. Right? What does that mean? Well, it's sort of in the eye of the beholder. So, Democratic lawmakers believe that all of these platforms have a, a disinformation mission. Right. Right. The problem with what they're saying, as we know, as it's played out, is that disinformation to them means like hiding Hunter Biden's laptop. Exactly. Yeah. Like for 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 the safety of Americans, we demand Twitter lock up anyone. Who discusses Hunter Biden or the contents of that laptop, which may or may not exist and may or may not be a Russian operation. Right, right. When the government says choice, they mean their choice. Yeah, but it's safe. Right. They're, you like, know? they're like, this country, Americans would be very unsafe if people <laughs> saw what Hunter Biden is actually like. I mean, I'd actually agree with that. I've seen some of the stuff on there. You are much safer having not seen it. And, like, and that's the thing. is like if they can lock, because they lock the New York Post's account. Right. And that's the New York Post is founded by Alexander Hamilton, you know? Right very serious publication that Twitter locks out because I'm just like, oh, this is a safety issue. Very, very important safety issue. So like when, when, when you've got the left, which has become this group that believes that like words are violence, basically disagreement is violence, right? Right. We'll send the FBI, we'll kick in your doors, but like say something and you'll catch it, right? Right. <laughs> this is for our safety. So like when they put that in this bill, it's just to label all conservatives as a threat to safety. And that's the problem. Right. If we have, do we need more demonstration in this area? Seriously. Right. I mean, look, they had what was it, seventeen, eighteen former Intel people yeah. come out and write a letter saying that all had, the worst people, all clapper, the ha- all the clowns, yeah. that the Hunter Biden's laptop had all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation. Right. So it, that close to an election. Safety issue. It's a safety you issue. You got to ban that stuff. It's a safety issue. Right. And then they try to institutionalize that same disinformation bullshit with that Nina Jankowicz. What, yeah, when they hired a Ministry of Truth, when they tried to create right. a Ministry of Truth. Right. But, and so then that didn't work. And so now we've got legislation where like, we're just going to 
Dude, that's willfully it. This, give the government more power. To this is basically like Return of Nina Jankowicz. <laughs> Dude, it, it, but it actually is. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm I mean, saying. That's the problem. <laughs> it, so I don't actually care about anything else in this bill. I mean, there are people like, you know, even Common Sense Leadership Fund, they were like, there's a lot of things we like in here, but this is a big problem. Yeah. For me, that's a the biggest problem because if you're turning over an interpretation of safety to either take down social media posts or ban accounts, then what you're doing is is making places like the Department of Justice, the FBI, and this mm-hmm. administration itself the entirety of the arbiters of what constitutes safety. Bingo. And if you, if social media companies in private enterprise are ha- have to be the downstream in, like enforcer of that guy mm-hmm. of their idea of Merrick Garland's idea of safety, yeah, we need you throw to- this in the fucking trash can immediately. They're like, oh wait, wait, you're a parent. Okay, we can, for safety reasons, you're not allowed to discuss your child's school online. <laughs> no, seriously. This is for safety. Merrick Garland is sending a team to your house. Don't resist. <laughs> is that is that that hard to believe after what we've seen? 100% no. Like, it's really that's, not. That's why they put it in there. Wait that's a minute. Joe, Joe Biden staying at the beach house of a mega donor for safety reasons. <laughs> for safety reasons. You cannot repeat that online. Yeah, you, are do- you are doxing the president of the United States. That is unsafe. It's for safety, guys. Right. It's for safety. Anytime you bring up you know, I don't know, the one-year anniversary of Afghanistan. Well, we can't talk about that. Yeah. It's for safety issues. I mean, you can see that the, what they're doing is codifying this very flawed logic that Democrats and progressives across this country have tried to apply to free speech, to the First Amendment. Yeah. They have tried, and, and I would say failed, because the American public is like, no, we're not doing that. But they have tried to make all posting of anything on social media networks filtered through something that they see as an arbiter of fact and they're the only ones that control and that's the facts the thing is, is it's very key for them to be able to have a monopoly on it because when they do things like name this bill the the like inflation uh, reduction in, act. inflation reduction act and then like they're asked even by even by like journals actual left-wing journals like the new york times is like so this does nothing for inflation <laughs> right they right. need to hold a monopoly on information so they can be like, all right, safety violation. No one can disagree <laughs> with the narrative that we're putting forward. This bill, and and like even afterwards, you know, when when all the votes are in there, get the news blasted out as, oh, this is a, a green new deal. Right, right. Suddenly, Says nothing in, about inflation. Yeah, right, right. So like they want to be enabled to lie to the American people and not get any pushback. That's what this safety bullshit's about. Well, they've got total control over the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. Did you guys see? what Tim Scott and Barry Weiss were tweeting about over the weekend? No. That Senator Tim Scott submitted an op-ed to the New York Times, and the New York Times editor forwarded it to Chuck Schumer and asked permission to print it. Holy shit. I'm not kidding you. No, this is is happening. This this, this blew up over the weekend. Barry Weiss, who's got a sub stack, I encourage folks to subscribe and and follow her. Awesome person. Very good stuff. But uh, she tells this story about what went on in the New York Times they literally gave Chuck Schumer editorial authority, decision-making authority about whether to print an op-ed by Senator Tim Scott. And that's and that's the alternative. So if you like pull back the lens to 50,000 feet here. That's exactly. What you're mm-hmm. doing by making social media and and all of these companies sort of a downstream vendor to the government in terms of what speech constitutes, you are then leaving the corporate media entirely right. to be the purveyors of information. That's what they want, right? And it actually doesn't matter if it's the New York Times or Fox News. All of them want that. 
Right. They all want that. Doesn't matter what their agenda is. That's what they want. It's about market share. It's about it's, market it's share. It's an economic decision. The problem is, is that conservatives are fundamentally silenced with the exception of Fox News in that ecosystem. Right. But so, so, but the solution isn't to empower the government to make those decisions. The solution is, as I think we've laid out here, like Ashbrook just mentioned, it's platforms like Substack. Right. It's mm-hmm. true social. It's rumble. Like there are alternatives that conservatives can use now to get the message out. And like that is the long the long term way to succeed here. Yep. Right. In using the Internet rather than using the government as like an, an, an enforcement mechanism to work the refs every day on Twitter. <laughs> like that's insane. It's it's like, and, and we'll never win that fight. Never. No, like we'll only never. win the fight by building our own tools. I mean, that's my opinion. Here's 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 where it gets scary and where it ultimately leads to. When people don't feel they have the ability to settle disagreements with words, they turn to violence. Yeah, I mean, it, it does get scary. And But what they're doing here with legislating in this area is a very dangerous proposition in my view. And I'm open to conversations about other pieces of this bill and whether or not that makes sense. What doesn't make any sense is the idea that you have worked in a word like safety to be the arbiter of all content yep it doesn't work for me trojan horse anyway all right so let's move on and talk about Biden. so (laughs) guys i i find a lot of humor in this because somehow the mainstream media and the biden administration and democrats in washington dc and new york essentially believe that biden is on a victory tour (laughs) they think that this thing like what a what a successful summer he's had Thank God he had 87,000 new IRS agents to send upon middle-class America. I mean, that's the thing. It's like he's basically – this is the most dystopian bill you could imagine. It's completely aimed at punishing Americans. They want to hire 87,000 IRS agents. Um, Multiple studies have now come out confirming it's going after people making $400,000. Like they keep trying to put the White House keeps right. trying to put out this buzz like line of, oh, it's only for people who are 400000 No, it's not. <laughs> it absolutely is not. The vast majority are going to be targeting, you know, working class Americans. And then for it to be called the Inflation Reduction Act when all it's doing is just spending a ton of money to basically just subsidize Chinese solar panels. That's it. <laughs> that and <laughs> IRS agents. Help. Yeah. But like, look, you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to connect the dots here, right? In the first Recovery Act thing that they did, which was just an entire boondoggle and brought us the inflation that you've got right now. In that, there was a great discussion, remember, about Venmo transactions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And whether or not the IRS could access any aggregate spending of $600 or more over Venmo. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So like, you know, you go to lunch once a week with a colleague throughout the course of a year, you can very easily see how reimbursements at that point get to 600 bucks. Or like a Venmo to your fantasy football league. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know? fully, yeah. the IRS is going to kick in your doors. Everyone pay their fantasy football But this league. is the first, so this is the first thing that they No, do. no, 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 no. They're coming for billionaires. Those billionaire, oh, the, billionaires. Ven- the Venmo transactions of billionaires. Yeah. So they find out they probably don't have the bandwidth for that. <laughs> So in the second big fucking boondoggle, they then line up 87,000 new IRS agents. Yeah. But don't worry, it's just for the billionaires, guys. <laughs> Mad, there's 1,000 billionaires, by the way. Yeah. 1,000 of them, right? And they have accountants and lawyers to the point where there's no chance that the IRS or anybody who would work for them can actually figure that shit out. Yeah. But these guys are ad- absolutely, as you said, all the studies show trying to find, and I think what I think it is is like sole proprietorship 
and people who are trying to create small businesses. Mom and pops are trying to go after Yeah, they, they, they're trying to get IRS agents up, up their ass with a flashlight. And, and then you read about a job posting the IRS had a few weeks back where they talk about hiring people that need to be armed and carry out protect, uh, like particularly sensitive, potentially dangerous missions. What the fuck is going on? Like You don't need to be a conspiracy theorist to connect those three dots and be like, uh, anybody want to talk about this? So I think what's going to happen is is there's like some grandma on Etsy selling like things that she's knitting. She's and using Venmo to get six hundred bucks in a year, and the IRS is going to like chop her into her place, kick in the <laughs> windows, and be like, "Where's the twenty bucks, Grandma?" No, seriously, that's, that's what's where happening. It is. That's what's happening. But anyway, Joe Biden's taking a victory lap on all that because people are, I'm sure, thrilled, right? And the White House is from the political playbook, just amazing. The White House is looking to capitalize on a string of policy political wins, uh, is launching travel and a media blitz over the next few weeks as it looks to beat the historical midterm odds in less than three months. The details of the victory lap. This is such a Democrat this thing is, to do. This is my favorite, what you're about. This is my favorite line of the whole thing. The details of the victory lap were outlined in a White House memo from Deputy Chief of Staff Jen O'Malley Dillon and Senior Advisor Anita Dunn to Chief of Staff Ron Klain, uh, exclusively obtained by Playbook. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I bet they had to do some serious gumshoe work to get their hands on that document. Oh, I, I, can you imagine the reporting involved? Yeah. The upbeat tone of the memo, it says, reflects a larger feeling inside the White House that after months of bad news, Biden's presidency has reached an undeniable, undeniable pivot point with its passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, which Biden is expected to sign sometime this week, yeah, because when he gets himself off the fucking beach. Um, it also reflects a sense of vindication amongst White House aides about their theory of the case that a focus on delivering concrete results for Americans. Dude, I got to come back to that. Ignoring the conventional wisdom and staying out of needless fights would ultimately pay off politically. Can we just talk about delivering concrete results for the American so, so people? So this is, this is a wild thing. And, I, I, you know, the vast majority of our listeners understand this. And the vast majority of, of people in D.C. absolutely do not understand this. But, it, but when you go out into the actual parts of America and you talk to people, they're not like in an upbeat mood of like, oh, this administration is delivering results. They're like, everything is super expensive and I'm having to make very difficult choices. I, That's what they're thinking. But th when they're talking about concrete results. Like, do you think someone who's paying twice as much for groceries than they were a year ago is like, you know what? I saw that memo that uh, General Mally Dillon sent to the wrong plane and it made me feel great. I feel great about it. I feel great about it. They really circumvented the traditional Beltway media filter. <laughs> yeah. They yeah. got their message out to the regionals. Totally. You, you, you know what it really reflects is a profound confidence you have as a Democrat operative that you could like touch down dance during you know record high inflation <laughs> and a recession and and and, and know you're going to get this sort of reception from the media that's the thing you know rather than like this is remarkably tone deaf if a republican tried to sell this memo oh my god during the sort of atmospherics we have in this country right now they get laughed we're, out of the fucking room we're on the anniversary of afghanistan falling right. from a disastrous pullout by joe biden during a period of record high inflation where there's a battle over the white house trying to tell people they're not allowed to say the word recession and they're like, now we yeah. celebrate. Now we that, celebrate. Now Good job, time. guys. We, High five. We killed the terrorist, but you know he's back in the country that we retreated from. Um, uh, it's time to celebrate. Don't pay any attention just, to that. Let me just tell you, if Republicans were in charge, the lead of the story would be 
Republican attempts to put positive spin yeah. <laughs> on higher grocery prices. That's 100% right. Right. That's 100% right. That would be the whole frame. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough sell with the American people as Republicans try to turn the page on the summer of high prices. Yeah, you they're, know? they're like, trying. They're still trying to season yeah, counts right, right. while Democrats are... are, are Delivering concrete <laughs> results for the American people. Oh, God. Are you kidding me? Like, Nate, can anybody name something that's going well? Anything. No. Like, there's not anything that these guys have put their finger on over a year and a half that's actually worked. I mean, immigration is a disaster. Yeah, the border is horrific. The, the, those videos, I think, it's, what's his name? Uh, Bill, is it Malugin? Yeah, Malugin. Who, who's been Fox. doing incredible work for Fox covering the border. And just, like, the sea of humanity which is coming through this border causing absolute chaos, right? And then you're seeing now a situation where uh, the governor of Texas is putting uh, these folks on buses and sending them to New York City, sending them to D.C., where he's like, okay, you folks say that you're like a sanctuary city or <laughs> welcome to go for it. And they're like, wait a minute, this is a strain on our resources. This is an absolute crisis. They're high-fiving right now. Yeah. yeah. Like right in front of the White House, you're having migrants being dropped off. The mayor of this town is like, what are we going to do about this migrant problem? It's like, oh. They're like, no, no, no. I yeah. got a process piece in Politico cooking. Yeah. <laughs> I got this thing. It's like General Malley Dillon is working on the celebratory memo. Give us 10 more minutes. Fellas, Joe Biden did make it from point A to point B on a bicycle without falling <laughs> off this weekend. It's a, t- it's a time for celebration. <laughs> There's no question about it. But this is the thing that, that drives me the most crazy, having worked inside politics. I guarantee you, that the West Wing press office is high fiving like a mother. Today. Yeah, they're like, "Did you see how perfect that was laid out in Politico? Oh my god, it was fantastic!" <laughs> right? And they have quotes like that. We never lost focus on that. The president never <laughs> lost focus on that, and it all came together. A White House official told Playbook last night, "We feel good about having something solid for us to sell for members of Congress to sell." What the fuck are they selling? What are they selling? The IRS agents? Like what? What? They're selling the IRS agents. The IRS agents? <laughs> That's what you're selling? All these dams in battleground, in battleground states, like, this should be a huge issue. At this point, there have been so many nonpartisan groups which have done studies. Even journals have started bringing up, they're like, actually, it's a complete lie when you guys say that, like, these 87,000 agents are going to be only unleashed on billionaires and it's not going to target people under 400,000. That message needs to be put out there in front of voters that, listen, I know times are tough. But we're sending federal people yeah. to come get your money. I mean, think about if you work in the service industry and you had like your career devastated by COVID for two years <laughs> and like you're, you know, you earn the vast majority of your income through tips. Uh, the idea that 87,000 new IRS agents are hired oh, to a, audit yeah. people like you mm, might not make you too happy. Look, Probably not great. Not great. You, on this point, you don't need to take our word for it. The nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office has done an analysis of these 87,000 IRS agents, and they have found that at least $20 billion of the new revenue Democrats are hoping to collect will come from lower and middle income earners and small businesses. <laughs> oh yeah, God. that's a which Congressional is, Budget Which office. is, by the way, that's how they sold that this is a, a reduction in Inflation Reduction Act is mm-hmm. because they said, well, all the money that we'll recoup from tax cheaters out there will be <laughs> will be what pays for our green panels. I, I really think there should be like, a, you know, White House celebration and high-fiving over the fact that uh, middle income Americans are going to pay $20 billion to pay for Joe Biden to fly to a Dem donor's house in South Carolina and party. I think, nice. that's, I think the middle class in this country would be happy to know that they can provide that. Also, just as an aside, 
do you know any American, and I mean this sincerely, do you know any American is like following the the congressional record and like, man, I just hope they pass new laws today. <laughs> God bless you. I just, you They're know. They're so good at it's it. It's been four or five weeks since we passed new laws against me. I can't wait. Just I can't wait another day. Yeah, I think caller like <laughs> polls higher than, than, than Congress right now. Right? Like, oh, man. Well, uh, it, it isn't just Playbook and the White House who are high-fiving about the passage of the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, the whole media has gotten in on it. And I think that means we have to play Demogerno. Yes. Let's go. Demogerno, 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 Demogerno. Nobody knows. I love that song. It's been a while since we've played this. I know it. I know it. Um, so these are all themed on um, the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, for our new listeners, uh, Demer Journo, I read four statements, three of which have been made by journalists, one by a Dem or a Dem operative. And Smug and Holmes have to decide who is the Dem or Dem operative. Mm, this is a tough game. It's a tough game. It's a tough game. And it's especially difficult during these uh, sort of tentpole <laughs> events yeah. where the media reveals that they're all libs and like to get in on the celebration. Uh, statement number one. Though the legislation's effect on inflation may be negligible, it's a clear sign that Democrats see the threat of what Americans are saying is their top concern. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. All right. Statement number two. It will kickstart the era of affordable, clean energy in America. Oh, man. Oh, man. Statement number three. I don't think there's much debate anymore. He, Biden, he is an enorm enormously consequential president. <laughs> and just judging him by his legislative agenda... He's sort of in that modern pantheon now. Oh no. Oh, my God. <laughs> no. He has a 35% approval rating. <laughs> oh, my God. Statement number four. Images of Biden as a feeble septuagenarian <laughs> atop a mismanaged White House have given way to those of an experienced leader smiling behind aviator sunglasses whose battle-tested team has delivered on a range of national priorities. Oh my God! This is tough. This is a oh tough one. Oh my God! This is, really tough. this is tough. Okay, I'm gonna turn around. Can you read me? Can you read me uh, number two again, please? It will kickstart the era of affordable, clean energy in America. Okay. Just for the sake of entertainment, can you please read number three one more time? <laughs> I don't think there's much debate anymore. He is an enormously consequential president. And just judging him by his legislative agenda, he's sort of in that modern pantheon now. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, I'm going to turn around, Smug. Okay. Smug has submitted his answer to me. All right, let's work our way through these. Okay. Um, I think, number one, when they say it may be negligible, I don't think a Democrat can say that because they named the damn thing the Inflation Reduction Act. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say journo on that one. Yeah, that was my thinking. Um, oh. Number three. Well, let me say. Number four, 
I don't think a Democrat can get away internally with saying even the accusations that he's feeble, that he's feeble. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, although they turned it right around and, and, and illustrated why that's not the case. I think mentioning feeble, if you're a Democrat, mentioning the word feeble and Biden in the same sentence probably gets you put in the penalty. Box. Yeah. Number one rule of politics. Don't repeat the attack. Right. So so I'm going to say one and four. Are definitely journals. This comes down to two and three to me and enormously consequential. Pre- the Pantheon line. The, the Pantheon gives me a journo feel. Same. They love the like feeling of like I'm a part of history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. They it, think everything is West Wing. These they people do. Are so they do. Awful. And so it's like there's some historic quality to it. So in the end, I'm going to choose number two as the Dem. So 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 my thinking is similar. Uh, I remember back when we had Tucker Carlson on the show and we played Demer Journal with him, and he said this insightful thing where he was like. No Dem operative would have such little dignity to say something like that. Only a journalist could be that disgusting. So that's why I think number three is journal because like have some like self-respect. Yeah. No, so number two is Dem in my opinion. Uh, number three, uh, Pantheon. Mm-hmm. Will you just read the whole statement? <laughs> I don't think there's much debate anymore. He's an enormously consequential president. Incredible. And just judging him by his legislative agenda, he's sort of in that modern pantheon now. He's <laughs> oh, Ryan Lizza. Of that course. is so perfect. That guy writes Politico playbook. <laughs> this guy writes Politico. This was formed as a tip sheet to have an insider's knowledge of the day to day in Washington. And now he's pontificating on the pantheon yeah. where President Biden lives in. Yeah. It d- didn't do enough with the uh, with the playbook memo. Had to Incredible. come off the top rope with Holy that one. Holy shit! Okay, so number one, number one, um, NPR. Yeah, that's perfect. perfect. I, I just love that it's a clear sign that Democrats see the threat of what Americans are saying is their top concern. Really reads as like a tortured Kamala Harris line. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like. Well, they named it the Infla- Inflation Reduction Act. At least they understand inflation's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, imagine being that fucking charitable, yeah. you know, to yeah. a piece of legislation that doesn't do shit for the thing that it's named. And, it, and that's the way that you write it. They show that they care. <laughs> and, and, and They named it, for Christ's sake. And how else would you name it? <laughs> Again, it makes obvious how distant they are from the problem. Yeah, right. This is someone who is actually unconcerned with inflation, is doing great, didn't have to deal with having a job that they lost uh, because of COVID. They don't have to worry about any of these consequences because they're sheltered from it. They just get to play on a laptop all day and they're paid way too much. So they're like, oh, you know, just recognizing, you know, these poor people, these plebeians and their inflation (laughs) is all they need. (laughs) So so it comes down to two and four. Uh, Number four, uh, Harwood. Met CNN. Oh, he's, he's, such a, he's such a disgusting hack human. of hacks. Number two was uh, Chuck, old Chuck Schumer, Chucky. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, kickstart the era of affordable clean energy. Yep, you're just going to ship those yeah. tax dollars directly to China. Affordable as shit. We're going to make it affordable by making everything else unaffordable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. Meanwhile, we're going to have to bolster the Taiwanese because, <laughs> uh, frankly, China's gotten out of control. Unbelievable, uh, these people are so dumb. What a great game, though. I love it. Um, all right. So as we transition out of that, I got to get to this. Smug, you pointed this out. The bear. 
Yes. So we've talked a lot about Hank and his minions, uh, and obviously they're they're on the prowl. They ran into a bit of a problem in Turkey. So this is such a fascinating situation. I think a lot of folks may have heard about this. The, the there was a bear who ate some honey that was like psychedelic. <laughs> This is, this is how they've this is how they've they've figured this out. So the Washington Post reports that a uh, like a real life Winnie the Pooh, a brown bear in Turkey, gobbled up some honey last week. But unlike the beloved children's book character, the cub got high as a kite on this sweet golden treat. And, and so this is what's really fascinating is is how the Washington Post, for the first time, I think they may have actually done something good. So in this article, they say uh, bear ingest mad honey, the bane of whole armies. There's like a history behind this throughout human history of it's like taking people mad out. honey causing problems. It says, okay, the reason it was hallucinogenic, mad honey known in Turkish as uh, Delhi Ball. Okay. Mm. Turkey's Ministry of Agricultural and Forestry said the young bear was rescued Thursday after it was found passed out <laughs> in the country's northwestern Dutch <coughs> province, about 130 miles east of Istanbul formerly known as Constantinople. Apart from the bad trip, <laughs> the female cub was in good condition following a stint at a veterinary care center. Somehow, the bear got her paws on an excessive amount of deli ball, which has been cultivated by beekeepers in the Black Sea region and the Himalayas for centuries. This is such an amazing situation. I'm shocked Luke Thompson didn't tell me about this. <laughs> okay, the substance is the result of bees feeding on the pollen of rhododendron flowers. The brightly colored plants carry a natural neurotoxin called grayanotoxin that when consumed can induce euphoria, hallucin hallucination, and toxication as the bear quickly came to new. Unbelievable. And then like you see the video of this and the bear is just like tripping hard. It's I think incredible. Gotta, I think we have to tweet out a, a vi the video of this because you gotta see this bear. Yeah, I mean it's, it's, it's absolutely just like, you can tell it's seeing things it's like you see a guy at the party in the corner who, and you're like, he's just had too much of something, right? <laughs> Everyone just leave that guy alone. He used to find a quiet room. But the fact that they're like, uh, uh, so so here's the whole like historical aspect. It says, um, according to research by the late Texas A&M anthropology professor, Von Bryant, one of the earliest records of mad honey came from Xenophon of Athens, who was a student of uh, philosopher Socrates. The Greek historian wrote that a Greek army stumbled upon the substance in 401 BC as the troops made their way back from the Black Sea after a victory over the Persians. It says, quote, they decided to feast on local honey stolen from some nearby beehives. Hours later, the troops began vomiting, <laughs> became disoriented and could no longer stand. Uh, by the next day, the effects were gone and they continued on to Greece. Uh, it says other troops weren't so lucky. Some 334 years later, Roman soldiers being led by Pompey the Great fell on a honey trap planted by the Persian army. They knew about this. Stuff. Oh, man. Is this where we get the term honey trap? Oh, my uh, God. Honey Is pot. this where honeypot comes from? Interesting. Well, Michael huh. Duncan, student of history. Um, <laughs> it says, uh, Brian said, they ate the honey, became disoriented, and couldn't fight. The Persian army returned and killed over 1,000 Roman troops with few losses of their own. <laughs> Dude, mad honey. Mad honey. Who knew? Who knew? That's ultimately that's what stops Hank. If, if that's where honeypot comes from, that's <laughs> incredible. Incredible. This should be weaponized. I think, you know, Ashbrook had the idea with the monkeys that you put the bananas and then... And the pool. You get them in the pool. It sounds like... I don't know. Mad honey monkey sounds... Like bears by nature are kind of like a chill animal. They just want to eat. They want to take a nap. 
and steal your Good shit. Creature. I'm okay. I, I, I side with the bears. Monkeys are problems, right? Like I bet if you give them mad honey, they're not gonna chill. It's no. like, you know what I mean? Like there's yeah, it's like, like bad crazy. It's kind of like drunks. There's, there's like, like good drunks trip. who yeah. like who, who have a good time. They chill, and there's like violent drunks. Yeah. <laughs> if you're camping, <laughs> if if you're camping this summer, instead of bear spray, maybe get a pot of this honey and put it sort of on the outskirts of your campsite. Yeah. A bear will come. That'll he'll take it. And he'll be out of commission. Then, then he's you, out of then commission. You, then you can take a video of him. It'll go viral. <laughs> Mad honey. It's just like mind-blowing for me. Amazing. <laughs> what an amazing deal. Oh, God, I love it. Okay. All right. So, listen, I think we've done it. We need to get to an important interview. Um, Devin Nunez, you'll remember him well from his time in Congress because he literally is the guy who debunked the whole Russiagate thing. He's now on to new adventures, uh, but he's got great perspective on everything that's happened with the raid in Mar-a-Lago and everything else. Who better to hear from? Devin Nunez. I want to welcome to the program somebody I've known for uh, a number of years, did just exceptional work when he was a member of Congress. I think I first met him out in California, uh, actually. But you know him from a lot of different things, probably most significantly his work on the House Intel Committee to, to debunk all of the Russiagate insanity. Devin Nunez, welcome to the program. Hey, it's great. Great to be with you. Listen. I wasn't sure I was going to see you because <laughs> I, I, I'm only on this for one reason and one reason only. I want to know who the hell is comfortably smug. Yeah. Well, I, I thought I was going to see him today. You know, he takes his or appearance. Her. He takes his appearance very, very carefully, right? I mean, he, this is a guy who stays under. I mean, you, as an intel guy, you got to appreciate that. Well, is it possible that comfortably smug, maybe a he, maybe a she, maybe Q? Yeah, one of those. <laughs> I feel like I feel like we should ask I'm all those. You banned my my goal during this podcast is to get you banned from all other social media sites. So comfortably smug has to come to True Social because you're going to get banned because your actual comfortably smug is Q. Q now I now I understand your motive. This makes all the sense in the world. It's that kind of 3D chess that's gotten to, gotten you to where you are in life, Mister Nunez. <laughs> No, but no, thanks though, Jen. In all seriousness, I, I, I forgot about that time you came out to my district and that was, that was a lot of fun. It was a so lot of fun. I appreciate those. That was a long time ago. It was. It was probably 10 plus years ago, but it was a lot of yeah. fun and I learned a lot in the process. I didn't, haven't spent a ton of time in Central California, so it was good. I got I got a little a little piece of it. But uh, The lefties call it drive-through country. Uh, for, as you know, it's the land of fruits and nuts, but like the real ones, like actual fruits and nuts not like <laughs> metaphorically <laughs> it should be a bumper sticker that's that's fantastic let me start with this because obviously uh in the headlines with last week's raid of mar-a-lago there was a lot of us that immediately were snapped back to reminders of where we were for four years under donald trump and the intelligence community, the FBI and DOJ persecuting an incredible number of untruths. And I really think of it uh, without you as the chair of the House Intel Committee, I'm not sure we would have gotten to where we needed to go in terms of uncovering the depth and the breadth of the effort to try to undermine President Trump by those agencies. Yeah, and, and what I would say too that people have to remember, I'd also say Senator Grassley did a hell of a job early on. So uh, Senator Grassley came to see me early on in 2017, and you know I had I had basically come out at that time early. You know I had come out right away and said, look, I don't see anything here. There's no evidence of Trump or Republicans colluding with Russians. 
And the reason that I knew that is because I had been the only one who gave a damn about Russia and Putin for like four years straight. And the irony of this thing was that in early 2017, I'm sorry, 16, the spring of 16, I was the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee and I had had enough of Putin just having his way with the United States. He was making our intelligence agencies look like morons and the Obama administration looked like morons. So I actually went out on actually when I used to do CNN and some of those other stations and thank God I had done that. I went out and said, look, this is the largest intelligence failure since 9-11 or inability to understand Putin's plans and intentions. So I was, I had spent a lot of time in Eastern Europe, um, had, you know, I may even have received, you know, awards from Eastern European countries because for a long time I was saying things like, look, NATO's not paying their fair share. I mean, some of the things that Trump said when he first got in, why on earth would you guys buy all your natural gas from Russia? This is, this (laughs) is total insanity and had been, you know, uh, to the stands, you know, know, to Kazakhstan, to Azerbaijan, to, you know, all that area and part of my duty. So you can imagine what happens in late 2016, we get an initial briefing after after the election that says, hey, nothing normal, Putin's a thug, he did his thuggish things. And then we go home for Thanksgiving, and then after Thanksgiving, all of a sudden there's this strange Senate briefing that of course leaks to the usual suspects in Washington, the usual outlets, uh, and they write a story uh, about that, you know, Senate was just briefed on ties of Trump to Russia. And I'm like, what, what? And, and uh, Russians, you know, getting into the election. I said, what the hell is this? You know, my phone's ringing off the hook. I'm sitting, I know I had, it was like the week after Thanksgiving. I don't know what the hell's going on. I said, there's no way this is possible. I go back. I remember, as you probably remember from your days working in, uh, uh, you know, at those, I'm not sure how many of the Intel briefings that you received, but I call all the appropriate people. I said, okay, where's the, where are the documents? What do we got? Is there something going on here? No, there's nothing. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing. There was basically the steel dossier. And then Obama orders that, that bogus intelligence report that then after the first of the year, we all come in, we get briefed on and they show us this dossier. And I looked at that dossier and I said, what in the hell is this? I mean, I've been reading at that point, you know, over a decade of reading intelligence reports, you know, I, when I came to Congress, it was right when we went into Iraq, we had been in Afghanistan. So you can imagine all that time. And I quickly looked at this. There was no, but and nobody in their possible right mind could read that and say this is an intelligence type document. Yet everybody in the fake news was saying it. The Democrats in the House were saying it. Uh, the Republican leadership, you know, wasn't. And I just went out there and said, "Look, this is this is all bullshit." Yeah, and which course, is which is when- so amazing, right? Because up to that point. The narrative, the mainstream media narrative of you is like, well, this is like, you know, he's clearly a conservative, but he's one of the more thoughtful leaders in, in Congress. And he's, he does his homework. He knows, you know, more about his line of work than, than almost anybody else. And then like with one sentence, all of a sudden you're portrayed as the kook. Right, right. And that's when Chuck Grassley and, you know, just to kind of close this up is that Grassley came to visit me and said, hey, what do you have? And then that's when we started comparing notes. And I think. It was, you know, if it, had it not been for Senator Grassley and his, his great team and the work they did, I think it would have been tough for us to get through. And I only say that just because I think it's fair to to make sure that, um, you know, the people that, that did really good work in those days get the credit. Yeah, I know. It's very generous of you, but it's absolutely true. The two of you worked hand in glove in your committees to try to uncover a lot of this stuff. I mean, the most interesting part about the beginning of this that you're talking about is that up to that point, the Intel committees had basically never been used 
to sort of run out front of an administration to try to allege things that were happening, right? Intel had always been, you know, for better or worse, there was obviously differences with the Iraq war and all kinds of different things where people had different interpretations, but never had sort of granular shitty research basically right. been been used as an Intel product to outrun all of the, the narratives go straight to the newspaper. And now you're, you're stuck in the position where you have to basically speak truth with nothing but lies surrounded. Yeah. And I think if you look back on those, on those, on those time periods, I think it's a good, uh, it's a good uh, um, analogy or comparison. The Iraq war, clearly there were differences of opinion, real differences of opinion, um, intelligence. Some people on Intel got it right. Some got it wrong, but there was, there were real documents. There was real information. There was something really to be, to, to argue over. And I came on to the committee shortly, you know, kind of after that, kind of that time period. Um, and, and I remember, you know, at that time, you know, the, you know, the members who had kind of been there, the older members who had been there and said, yeah, that was some tough times, you know, and, but you know, we're, we generally, you don't hear from us, you know, unless there's a terrorist attack. Yeah. And I'll tell you, it was the, I like to tell people, I had the very best job in the world when I was first became chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. Uh, you didn't hear from us. We did work. It was bipartisan. Right. Right. You, there was a lot of rewarding work too, by the way. I mean, you would go, you know, overseas to visit. You'd hear directly from um, either our allies, our adversaries, maybe in between uh, people on the ground. And then you would come back and you'd have instant impact. So in that time period, I went from the best job in the world to in 2017, the worst job in the world, uh, because all of a sudden, you know, I was out there saying, look, this didn't happen. And then, you know, I got smeared, attacked, and it never stopped. You Which know, has got to be a weird, I mean, it's got to be continues. a weird, weird feeling for somebody like you. Again, spent your entire congressional career regarded as an extremely serious, thoughtful member of Congress. And then in one short time frame, all of a sudden you're looped in as the craziest guy in all the mainstream media outlets. And I'm thinking, I'm, at the time, right. I'm thinking like, I mean, obviously I had a lot of reservations about the the narrative, but all you do is read what what's out there. And then when I saw you so strongly out there, I thought, well, I mean, that's not Devin. Devin Nunez is not a crazy person, right? But it had to feel like yeah. you were on, on an island. Well, look, I, and I think had it not been for my long career, being a serious uh, member of Congress, you know, very supportive, always of the cause, um, you know, there's not one Republican broke uh, from me in the House, right? Not not one. And most, and, and almost the entire Senate, um, you know, I think they all said even, and they must have said it even to the fake news guys to say, look, if Devin Nunes is saying this, it's got to, there's got to be some truth to it. You know, and I would have to have meetings with a lot of these members, but you know, it didn't take long after a couple months Then you had the Mueller investigation that quickly all fell apart. And it essentially that's kind of, it had already started for a while, but it was really kind of the earthquake at that in 2017 that kind of separated the two realities. You yeah. either live in the Democrat DC, New York beltway, reality you you read new york times posts all of that you take it as gospel uh or you read kind of center right media the, and, and investigative reporters and and those are the worlds that people live in mm -hmm. and i think when you don't live in those worlds now you get you get crossways right so and i think a lot of my former colleagues are starting to figure what i figured out in 17 was that I, you know i just cut them all off i'm probably the well i'm sure i'm the first member of congress at least in modern history i mean i cut off all the fake news and i told them very pointedly look you've got 10 stories here take them down apologize yep. and they wouldn't do it so i said well i'm done i'm out 
right? <laughs> so I'm out. I don't talk to him. I never talk to him. I quit. And now I'm, you know, I quit, you know, uh, you know, I would only talk to ones that wrote real, real news. Yeah. I mean, I even had even some, a couple center right uh, operations wrote some fake news and I had to go to him and say, look, I'm cutting you off unless you take this down or, or change it. And of course, you know, it ended up happening. But um, yeah, it's been, uh, uh, and look, it's partly, it's, it's, bas- it's not partly, it is the reason why I left. I just see that the most important issue here at the highest level is our inability to communicate. So it's one thing to have fake news versus not fake news. It's another thing when you run it through, you know, into these phones through social media. And, you know, I caught, you know, I caught Twitter shadow banning me. Uh, I caught YouTube doing the same thing. And then I, you know, and then of course the 2020 election happens, they ban, you know, they had already started banning people from, from other platforms. So in 2020, a lot of people, I don't think know this, but I went out and got on parlor and got on rumble. I was the first congressman to do so largely because I knew the other places were useless for me to be. So then when they banned president Trump and millions of other Americans and the censoring got worse and worse, that's why, you know, said when president Trump called and said, look, you know, I'm creating this company, you know, a lot about this. And I said, gosh, you know, I've been around the country. I know this is the most important issue at the highest level. And that's why, you know, I left Congress. It wasn't, it wasn't, I like to say, I didn't need a new job. President Trump didn't need a new company, but the American people have to have the internet open and we've got to get our voices back. And I think that during this last week, it kind of proved that it proved that it was the only way that people could circulate information freely um, over the internet, uh, largely on true social, hear from President Trump, hear from others and not be censored. All during a week, surprisingly, where Twitter has just said that they're gonna be, you know, deciding, you know, before the election, what's fake or not. So, um, look, Amazing, and they have a real great track record at that, don't they? Right. Hey, and look, there's so many people that, that you'd be surprised, like how many, like I was only partly joking of, of you getting kicked off of Twitter, um, or not you, but whoever comfortably sure. smug it is getting kicked off because they are, they are methodically kicking off people that have that, that, you know, may not be major players or not household names, but they're real investigative reporters. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just, just last week, a real clear politics reporter got kicked off. It's wild. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, and it continues to happen. You can tell that this is a mission for you for a lot of reasons, but not the least of which is you're also on the Ways and Means Committee, probably slated to be chairman, right? And in all the chairmanships in in Congress, probably the biggest deal out of them all, you could have had that and you chose to leave Congress and do what you're doing. You must be totally committed at this point. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that was the, I mean, it was, you know, that was probably the only thing that I looked at and said, you know, gosh, this is, you know, I'm in this great position. I really like all those issues. But the fact of the matter is I had wrote a little pamphlet, a little book on this in 2020. This was before the Hunter Biden laptop from hell. It was basically telling people about, you know, look, here's fake news. Here's how it's being, you know, here's how people are being shadow banned. And, And it was written in July, actually, of of 2020 and that was before all this other bad stuff happened so then in 21 i'm running around the country you know going to you know speaking all over the place saying this is the most important issue we have to have a social media company to get back up and going and you know so when you all of a sudden are poised with okay here it is if you say it's the number one issue you could come and run this company what the hell was i going to say and and honestly i mean look it's it's just it's just a lot of fun and and i think after it's fun to create something new 
I already know how this is going to end because I watched Parler and I watched Rumble take off. So I know what's going to happen here. It's exactly what is happening now. We're getting millions of Americans uh, and, you know, the the fake news can't help themselves. These social media companies can't help themselves. So we're just going to continue to grow. And look, our goal really is we don't want to be just news and information and political. Um, and to some degree, we're getting some of that because we've got all these great, funny meme makers mm-hmm. that, that got kicked off the other platform. So mm-hmm. we are a place where social media is fun again. But we have an opportunity to create something where you take the best of TikTok, the best of Instagram, the best of Facebook, the best of Twitter, you put it into one. That's what we're building here. It's going to take us a while. Um, you know, we're only about halfway through kind of our major feature set build out. And we're also not even fully launched yet because even though we're on the Google Play Store for pre-order, they haven't yet approved our app. So, you know, we're waiting for that. So imagine, you know, that's going to add millions of more people to already a platform that most people have, they've been on the platform for for a few months and they're active and they're creative. Um, You know, they're, they're surpassing what they already had on these other platforms, sometimes for been on these other platforms for years. Mm. So we know it's going to work and look, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, well, and I got to imagine with the news that Elon and the Twitter sale uh, looks like it's not going through. I, that can't hurt your efforts either. Well, you know what we said at the time? It's kind of funny. Um, it's kind of weird how that all went down, too, because there's been a lot of fake news about that. Nobody was more supportive, ironically, of President Trump and I saying, yeah, we hope he buys it. Um, and then there was, and, and I think a lot of, because we're not trying to be Twitter. Twitter is a global PR wire on the internet. It's mm-hmm. where like celebrities and sports folks, sports you know, figures and politicians go and they put a statement out and then the news grabs it and puts it on their screen. It's not a place people go to social network, right? To build groups and communities. So we've never wanted to be Twitter. A lot of people see it as that because, you know, Donald Trump was most famous for tweets, mean tweets and that sort of thing. But that's not really the company we're trying to be. So, we, you know, we have a simple mission. It's to open up the internet and give the American people their voice back. And we like to say, look, we're for everybody that's, that wants to promote free speech. So both President Trump and I were supportive of it, which is why it was kind of so weird that that Elon made like kind of, you know, some just kind of oh, like vague kind of attacks against uh, against President Trump and, and True Social. We don't know why. I mean, we're he's welcome on the platform. And um, and we supported him to buy to buy to buy Twitter because I think like you won't, you know, you may not know this, but, um, and I'm not trying to offend you at all, but like normal people aren't on Twitter. Yeah, and you're I don't not going to offend me. <laughs> it's just, yeah. I, I give the example. I went to, I went to Easter and this was kind of when we were at the beginning of, of, of rolling out kind of the first stages of true social. And it was my extended family. And I said, okay, Hey, how many of you guys are on Twitter? Not one hand went up. I had like one <laughs> uncle that was like, Oh, I got, I was on there, but as soon as Trump got kicked off, I'm out, you know? Right. But you know, half the, you know, half of the group were on, on between Facebook and Instagram and, and TikTok. nearly the whole group of, you know, the 80, hundred people, yeah. they were all on those platforms. Yep. So your goal and that's is where we got to be, to be a, to be a real social networking, social media company, you, you've got to, you've got to get to the broader market. Yeah. A broader palette of, of at least participants, right? I mean, like yep. you said, Twitter is pretty narrow, pretty narrow. Um, let me ask you this. Cause I want to get, I want to get more into truth social in a minute, but I also want to ask you the Intel community having been, you know, you built your chops dealing with these folks on a day-to-day basis 
did you ever think that they had the capacity of being just totally political? I mean, look, you see it throughout history in other countries mm. um, and other governments. Um, but, you know, never did I think it would get to this level. You would have thought that what we uncovered in 17, everything that we went through in 17 and 18, um, you know, with uh, the inspector general coming out uh, with the Durham um, appointment, you would have thought all of that would have kind of, there would have been a, a kind of a, a course change, right? Right. But there hasn't been. And look, we can get into this as, as much or little as you like, but part of the reason why is, is that the same cast of characters who started way back, and you'll remember these days with Fast and Furious and the gun running to targeting conservatives through, through the IRS, the same cast of characters that were maybe high level, but not the highest levels, during the Obama-Biden administration have now been promoted. They're, they're, they're at the very top echelon. Yeah. So, like, for example, if you believe last week that the White House and people in the White House didn't know about Mar that Mar-a-Lago was going to get raided, didn't know that Garland was going to have a press conference, you and I have been in Washington long enough, and I know all the, all your listeners know this, that's like the biggest bunch of bullshit of all time. Of all like time. They, they, they know that it's going to be, that they know by just the fact that they came out and said it shows you, of course they knew. They, well, you can't. You just can't do something that is that precedent setting in an agency. I don't care if it's DOJ or if it's the Department of Commerce. If you are breaking with hundreds of years of precedent in how you handle a certain situation, you're gonna run it up the flagpole. Right. Right. <laughs> sure. It's just like it just yeah. blows my mind that they're like you know Joe Friday out there trying to figure out where the facts are, man. But in the well, end, I also saw early on, too, and, and, and you'll, you'll recognize these trends quickly. Like, I, don't, I can't remember if it was Monday night. I think it was Monday night after the, you know, when the raid, when Trump announced the raid on, on True Social. Um, you had a lot of people in the fake news media were putting out the White House didn't know. Well, that was giveaway already. OK, the White House knew. Like nobody was even asking. I didn't know that hadn't even gone through my mind at that point. I didn't give a shit about the White House at that point, right? <laughs> right. right. So, like nobody asked the question. They're already answering it. And right? they're already answering it. Yeah, Without any kind of investigation, giveaway. right? How many, then, how many times in the last four years could you say something and not have uh, every reporter up your ass with a flashlight making sure you weren't lying to them? Not these exactly. guys. And then, and then they repeated it on Friday whenever, before Garland came out. We have no idea what Garland's going to say. Oh my God. Like, like. Like and, and look, the fake news in, in the Beltway there in DC, they know this too. I mean, they're all in on it. Just like we found out, we found out, you know, through you know the Russia hoax, these guys were all planted the stories. I mean, they, they ought a lot of those guys ought to just hang their head down and leave and like go find a new job. But this is this is what sadly was happening. We're living in two different realities. And just to kind of close the question, I think the same is true for Intel. So the intelligence agencies have gotten way too big way too cumbersome. There's way too many people in Washington, D.C. Um, there's not enough people that are spending time abroad and doing the really difficult work that these people do. So the bureaucracies can basically come the same thing. They got to put woke people in. They have to have a, you know, one of these, one of that, one of this, you know, all the different letters in the alphabet you have to have. They're all hanging out in D.C. Uh, they all read the, the, the Washington Post. And it's not that all of them are left wing, but it's just moving more and more and more that way. Yeah. So now we have a bunch of people who are you know, not doing the most critical work sometimes. I'm not going to say that it's all that, but there's definitely a big bureaucracy that's built up and they become political. 
And so when you had the people at the top and they look back, well, hell, I remember Susan Rice. She was the national security advisor. Where's she at now? Oh, wow. She's back as, as the domestic policy Amazing, advisor. right? They Amazing have the same five people and, doing every job. Right. And so you're going to say, like, these people never go away. And, and you got to remember in an intelligence or military career, a lot of these last for, you know, 10 to 25 years. So if you're sitting in there, like, and you've been, you're like in year 15, you're, you're kind of in that, you're getting in the upper levels. Like you saw Susan Rice when you were a five year, you know, in, only in five years. And what the hell are you going to do? You, you want to hit that 20, right? So even if you disagree, you're just going to say, you know, yes, sir. And go. Yeah. And I think that's a lot about what's going on. I mean, look, there's a lot of Patriots out there and a lot of them, you know, that I, you know, continue to, to kind of keep tabs of, they just want to keep their head down. Right. They're like, you know, they're high level folks that I've, that I've known now for, for 15 years or so uh, that I worked with and they're still inside and they're like, look, we're not going to say a damn thing. We don't agree with this, but you know, we're just going to get our targets. We're going to go out and do the tough work and report it back. And, answer questions that, uh, that, that executive branch or, or Congress has. And you know, that's, it's kind of sad that, that people have to kind of keep their head down. And that's why I think what's interesting, if you hear what Chuck Grassley and, and I think Ron Johnson in the Senate, and now it seems like maybe even in the House, some whistleblowers from the FBI yes. have come forward. Yeah. And that's what it's going to take yeah. uh, if this ship is going to be turned around. That along with, I think, what Durham's doing. Hopefully he can bring some more indictments. Some of that would have to do something, but but look, this is this is going in a, in a, to a very dark place quickly. Uh, I don't know if you just saw this, but just, you know, just uh, broke, but, you know, they, they took President Trump's passports. Mm. I mean, this is, this is a madness. I mean, they investigated him for espionage. I mean, that's treason. And what's so crazy about that is, is remember, that's what they were saying in 16 and 17 and yeah, 18. That's right. And it was a, it was an investigation in search of a crime. And what did they say at that time? They said, they said, oh, we're going to, uh, we're going to, uh, well, it's obstruction of justice now. And we'd be like, wait a second, you manufactured all of this, right? You have Mueller. There's no crime there, underlying crime. Because by that point, before Mueller come out, we had already proven that it was all a hoax. Right. Right. And then they said, oh, no, we're going for obstruction of justice. And there were people within Mueller's team who wanted to do that, but they knew they couldn't go that far. Right. They couldn't go that far with Bill Barr there and others, you know, that have been around. But some tried to do it. And now it's like I think they've just doubled down. I think you've got the same lunatics there. They've graduated to higher places and they're like, Mueller should have done this. Of course, he's corrupt. We got to prove it. Like he has to be a Russian agent. Why else would you? investigate president trump on espionage i mean they went to a grand jury with that crazy shit oh jesus it's just unbelievable listen it, it, before we wrap this and get to our three questions you got i hope the very best for for truth i hope that that it's a huge success but what i really hope beyond that uh mr nunez is that when we have a, a republican president god willing in 2025 that you can help guide some of this deconstruction of of the administrative state that has become our DOJ, our FBI, and our intel, because you, nobody knows more about it, and frankly, nobody's been a bigger bigger victim other than President Trump of what they uh, what they have in mind for us. So, so please stick close to this one, will you? Thank, thank you. And I'll tell you the the work's going to start. Uh, you know, if Republicans get the majority, they've got to. I mean, it's going to be like an investigation that, that, that nobody's ever seen before that they're going to have to do. Yeah. And we were having this conversation, a few of us over the weekend, my former colleagues, and, you know, they're asking me, you know, what they should do. And I said, look, you know, you, this has got to be such a massive investigation. 
I'm not even sure how you guys do it. Cause you got to remember, at least with the intelligence committee, when we ran the Russia hoax investigation, you know, we had kind of a very narrow, uh, uh, kind of, uh, field that we had to look at. We knew it was a hoax. We knew what we were dealing with, but now this has become so broad because all this has to be looked at. Like it's too big really for the intelligence committee and the judiciary committee. Yeah. So I don't know what Congress, the Republicans will do, but maybe a special, something big. yeah, maybe a special committee of sorts. I know there's a, there's yeah. been a number of people that have talked about that. Well, we'll get but, you to come back. You can go back and stat. You can be the staff director. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think but so. I'll put out there on true social. I think Q is now, now the staff director of the special committee. Here we go. You're going to cause all kinds of problems for us. This is great. Um, all right. So I got three questions. I'm still that I trying to just get you banned. I think if I'm, I'm just going to put out there on truth that I found Q. You're he's doing sitting it. On, he's sitting out. He, she sitting out there on Twitter somewhere. You're doing a great job. <laughs> all right. So here's the three questions. The first one, if you can plan your last meal on earth, what would it be? So, you know, this is a good one for me because if, if you're on true social or when I used to post on Instagram, so people know that I like to grill, yep. um, but they will also know that it all depends and all my old buddies in Washington, I know that listen to, that, that listen to your podcast are going to know this. It depends on the wine. <laughs> it depends on the wine. And they know me like wine is the most important, important part of the meal. And you basically, once you find a good wine, then you match up what you, what you're going to eat. And that's kind of how I do this to sometimes. And my wife doesn't normally like that because, you know, because my wife doesn't really drink wine that much, but well, yeah, I it get it. depends on the wine I want to drink and then you match it up. I'm a subscriber to this. So what's the wine? So what's, what do you, what's the number one draft pick? You know, I always say that um, people ask me that all the time uh, because, you know, I, I've, I don't know if you know, but it, you, but you probably wouldn't know this because, of course, the fake news never wanted to talk about this. But uh, I was a founder of, of several wineries, and now I'm making a little bit of my own wine uh, this year um, and going through that, that process. But um, there's drinkable wine all over the world, and, and there's really only two categories. There's drinkable and not drinkable. Sure. Um, and then there's some just elite wines, but you know, a lot of those are, are very, very expensive. Um, and, and, you know, and a lot of them don't even exist anymore. Um, but you know, I'd, I'd say, look, it's hard to beat like an aged of a really good Napa Porto blend are really hard to beat if they've been aged. Of course, older French wines are, are really good. Yep. Um, but I, I think the actual best wine today, uh, is, is a 63 port. Oof. So it's a little bit different wine. It's made differently. Yeah. Um, yeah. But a 1963 port wine is the best wine right now, like a Fonseca uh, port or a Wares. They're hard to tailor. You throw They're a, hard to find. You throw a steak with that? What are we eating? The, we're doing the no, port. Well, typically you would use that as a, you know, for dessert. Um, but there's no question. And, and actually the wines that I'm making now that I'm flirting with in California, I'm using Portuguese varietals that are grown in California uh, because I think that those Portuguese varietals will grow really well on the central kind of central coast part of California. So that Paso Robles area. So that's something that I didn't have time to do when I was in Congress really. And that's, um, awesome. so that's a little, little, little fun project of mine, but I believe that, so I'm growing those, those making those wines out there to make actually table wine, not port wine. 
but it's essentially kind of the same the same concept. So That's it's something awesome. that I, I it's a passion I have for those Portuguese varietals. All right, all right. So I'm going to put you down for a barrel of wine, uh, which is a great order. Um, Sounds good. And so we'll say, have that at the at the Q coming out party. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, all right. Second question: If you never got, you to- know, the reason I'm harassing you on this, right, is because these morons in the fake news like continue to like write these crazy hit pieces about like all this Q stuff that we're supposedly doing. It's just mad. It's it, anybody right of center is Q at this point, right? Uh, <laughs> all right. If you never got into politics at all, what would you do? Oh well, I think you already have. I already is it the winemaker? It's I'd the winemaker. I'd be making wine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's an easy. I, one. I mean, look. Yeah, I was in farm. You know, I was in farming, um, and that was always what I wanted to do. My grandfather grew grapes, and and that's what I. That's that's. And look, I've always been in the business and now that i'm out i'm I'm trying to get a little bit more into the business but it's something it's really my only hobby well we're gonna which is kind of which is kind of pathetic smug and i are going to show up at your front door looking for a glass of whatever you got poured so uh, uh, well you can be guaranteed of one thing uh, you show up at my door you don't have to bring the wine i love that all right all right so last question and this you got to bear with me as i explain it for a minute our view is that okay. every successful person is motivated by one of two things, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. And it's not that anybody likes to lose. It's that you're either motivated by the idea of winning or you're motivated by any setback you've ever had overcoming it, right? And so like a good way to think about it, it's the, it's the optimistic sort of glass half full approach versus like the Michael Jordan approach, right? Whereas like they almost invent things that have the slights that have happened to them in order to keep them motivated to get to the next step. Devin Nunez, where do you find yourself? You know, I already answered that question earlier because what I do is I, I go to True Social and then I just see what Q wants me to do. And that's the position that I take. Like we don't make any moves at True Social unless q tells us to do it are wait are you q i think that might be the question you're like well, that's i think what they're saying out of the fake news sometimes a lot of deflection here i'm starting starting to become suspicious <laughs> um you know look i never really thought about it that way i guess the um you know i always you know john banner used to always say something um and he was a good friend of mine and he always say that um you know, do the right thing uh, for the right reasons. The right things happen. I think that's how I take things in life. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Like you just try to do the right thing. Um, you know, you try to have a good time, and you know that's what I. You know, that's what I've always told my team, and you know, all through the you know all my time in Congress and the even the the kind of dark days of the Russia hoax, um, and of course you know here at True Social, like you know we have a good time. Like life is too short not to have a good time. So I'm not going to take, of course we take everything seriously uh, and you try to do the right things for the right reasons. But at the end of the day, uh, we're going to have a nice glass of wine. I love it. I love it. Listen, one of the easiest guys to get along with in Washington now as CEO of Truth Social. Appreciate the good work you're doing, Devin Nunez. Uh, Come back and give us an update when you guys keep building stuff. Hey, absolutely. And it's an honor to honor to be on and congratulations. Uh, I know it's your podcast doing very, very well. So thanks for having me. Thanks much. Another great interview. What a great guy. You know, I didn't know how big into wine. He He's the only guy who has answered the last meal on earth question with no food at all. <laughs> it was like, he just talked about wine for like seven minutes. <laughs> so like, I respect it. I mean, 
it's a way to go for sure, right? I mean, I think I'd probably get the food too, but I definitely over-index on whatever wine and booze I wanted, which is uh, apparently where Devin's head's at. Going out comfortable, that's for sure. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, fellas, I think we did it. Yeah, speaking about going out comfortably. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Nice. Good nice segue. Good sure. seg. Nice Ashbrook, fantastic work. Ashbrook, fantastic work, gentlemen, and thank you so much to the minions and our loyal listeners we appreciate it so much so until next time minions keep the faith hold the line and own the libs we'll see you on thursday stay ruthless